Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church, Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. We're looking at Luke 22. Uh, so you want to open your Bible, it will be on the screen, but I'm going to read this story telling of a meal that Jesus has with his disciples. And read from verse 7 of Luke 22. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it, they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Wonderful story about communion as we know it. Uh, but I want to start in America. I want to start in the 1860s, where a civil war raged throughout the country, and which at its heart was about slavery. And Abraham Lincoln, as president, led the northern states in battle against um, the southern states, who were um, for slavery. The north was against it. And General Robert E. Lee was leading the southern states. And after four years of battle... 600,000 lives lost. The southern states were defeated and they surrendered in Richmond, Virginia. And in that place, on the Sunday that followed, there was a worship service. And um, it was an old church, not, nothing like this school we're in, but they had a balcony at the top and at the bal- balcony was where the slaves would sit and downstairs would be where um, the rest of the people, the whites, would sit. So had separation of whites and blacks. And this was the practice for many years. This is the tradition in the church. And they would have two calls for communion. One for those whites downstairs and one later on for the blacks upstairs. But on this given Sunday, something remarkable happened. Because as the call for the first communion was given, an elderly black man got out from his seat from the balcony, came downstairs and walked down the down the aisle downstairs. But what was even more surprising was as he walked down the aisle, an elderly, bearded um, white man stood and linked his arm in arm as they went to the table together. That man, that grey-haired, bearded man, was General Robert E. Lee, the defeated leader of the army. And in that moment, there was forgiveness, there was unity, there was healing. And from that day, there was no segregation as people took communion. There was unity in the church of Jesus Christ that day. 
a powerful story. And this morning as we look at communion, as we look at the words that Jesus says for the first time, I'm praying today that there is forgiveness, there is unity, and there is healing amongst us, part of the church of Jesus. It's a meal that starts with a, in a very strange place, doesn't it? It starts with Jesus knowing what's going to happen. He's made preparations for it. And just as an aside, as we read those verses, we see Jesus in control. He knows what's going to happen the next day, the next day where he's crucified. He knows that's happening. But he's saying to his disciples, it's fine. Even to the minutest detail, I've got things prepared. Verse 17 we read, after the cup, he gave thanks. Here's what would have happened in a Passover meal. That the host, the head of the family, would get up and take a cup and give thanks. And then a question would be asked by the youngest child. A question would be asked. Why is tonight different from all other nights? That would, be, that would be in the minds of the disciples in this meal. And in this meal, we're going to look at three um, things Jesus gives us. One, a new covenant. Two, a new family. And thirdly, a life-changing hope. So three meals where first we're looking back to the Passover, where Jesus is establishing the new covenant, where we're secondly looking forward, literally looking forward, Jesus uses a, a phrase very like that, to the next day, to the cross. So at this last supper meal, he's looking forward to, um, to the cross, where he's giving us a new community, starting a new community. And thirdly, a third meal, looking ahead to the wedding supper of the Lamb, which is talked about in Revelation 19, where Jesus gives us life-changing hope. Great, so let me set the scene. Last meal Jesus has with the disciples. They're in Jerusalem, as we've read. Peter and John have gone ahead and, and found, kind of, as just as Jesus said, things have been prepared. They're all about to eat. And remember, the disciples, they're all Jewish. They've all grown up eating this meal once a year. But I presume pretty much all of us haven't. Pretty much all of us haven't got um, a historic understanding of what the Passover meal is. So I'm going to explain a little bit about the Passover to help us fully understand what, how significant what Jesus is saying is here. So Passover was, was eaten uh, first on the night where the Israelites left Egypt. So it, the, kind of the people of God were in Egypt under slavery and they ate a meal to remember their liberation, their freedom from the rule of the Egyptians. But remembering what God did on that night with, in his grace and great, by great power. And you see, Jesus is saying things here that are totally different from what would happen in a normal Passover meal. When the question asked what, by Alex, what, why is tonight so different from all other nights? They would expect a normal patter of rhetoric about um, you know, the, the feast they were eating. They weren't expecting Jesus to start to talk about his blood poured out or his body given for them. Some, Jesus is doing something new. Each year, Israelites eating a meal, remembering the political and the economic liberty they received from the evil of the Egyptians. Tonight, at this meal, we're looking at, Jesus is saying, you will eat a meal and continue to do so, where you will remember the complete freedom and liberty from sin and evil itself. 
on the night of the Passover, recorded second book of the Bible, book of Exodus. You can read it um, if, you, if you like after this. But God says, tonight judgment will come. On this night of the, of the Exodus, he says judgment's going to come on all of the place of Egypt, on the Egyptians and on the Israelites. But, but, he tells through Moses that there is a way so that the, the judgment of God would pass over. That they were to take a lamb, to kill it and eat it, and place the blood of this lamb on the doorpost, and put their faith into the blood on the doorpost. And that would mean the justice of God would pass over. What would save them? Not being born Jewish. What would save them? Is they would be saved by the substitute. Saved by shelter under the blood of the lamb. If you put your faith here, the, the judgment you should receive won't come to you, but be passed onto the Lamb. You see, it's a little bit complicated looking at Jewish history, but it's really important to see as we look at what Jesus is saying. Um, one of the greatest nights of sport I remember watching as a teenager was in 1999, a football match between Manchester United and Bayern Munich. For most of the game, this is the Champions League final, right? Most of the game, Man United are losing 1-0 because of a clinical Mario Basler strike. And the, as he looked at it, things were getting bleaker and bleaker and bleaker. The English team looking like their, vic their season wouldn't end in victory, but it would end in defeat. Minutes ticked down. The hope of the Man United fans was fading. However, Teddy Sheringham equalised in the 91st minute. Bearing in mind there's normally 90 minutes in a football game, you were right at the last few minutes. And then their salvation came from a strange place, from a baby-faced Norwegian footballer called Ola Gunnar Solskjaer, who, for 81 minutes of the game, was a substitute on the bench. And... Ole, the substitute, came on to score with pretty much the last kick of the game. For Manchester United, their salvation came from a substitute called Ole. For the Jewish people living in slavery in Egypt, their substitute, their salvation, sorry, came from a substitute, that of a lamb. For Christians, for us living in 21st century Leeds, our salvation also comes from a substitute, not from a footballer called Ole, not from a little fluffy sheep but from somewhere else. See, in this Passover meal, this new tradition that Jesus is establishing, the bread are talked about. We've read them. We've talked about, heard the wine talked about. We've heard not, no mention of them eating lamb, the lamb that would you'd have thought would be on the table. And Mark, another gospel writer, Matthew, another gospel writer, and Luke, the gospel we're looking at right now, they don't mention the lamb in any detail of them feasting on it. Why isn't the lamb on the table? Because the lamb is at the table. When Jesus Christ says, this is the blood of the new covenant, this word, this covenantal word, it's about a binding, intimate relationship. And he's saying, all those lambs, all those lambs that were sacrificed year after year after year, they point towards me. They point to Jesus. I am the Lamb of God that is slain for all the people, once and for all. 
And in that, Jesus is establishing something new, a new covenant, a new promise, a new binding relationship between the people and between God. On this day in the upper room in Jerusalem, Jesus is looking back to the Passover. He's also looking forward to the next day, to the cross. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, broken, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Our salvation comes in the form of Jesus. His body given for us, and his blood shed. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The next day Jesus dies on a cross, and the world goes dark. Darkness is a symbol of God's judgment. Jesus is judged in our place so that we can be freed from the curse of sin, from the thing that holds us, all the wrong that we do. And Jesus' blood seals a new covenant, a new kind of freedom, a release from captivity to sin and death. And for us, we can enter into that by believing in Jesus. Jesus' faithfulness as God His perfect life as man leads to a covenant that is eternal and secure that we can enter into. And today, as we take communion later in response, we get a chance to do that. And if you're a Christian here today and you say, yeah, I I believe in Jesus, I put my trust in him, it's our chance to remember what God has done and with glad and sincere hearts partake together. So looking back, Jesus is establishing the new covenant. Now he looks forward to the cross where he starts a new family. He says to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I mean, as I say, looking forward in two senses. One, he is looking to the next day, but he is also, it's a a thing in our English language where you say, oh, I'm really looking forward to that. That's what Jesus is saying. He uses the the, the phrase that we have translated, eagerly desired. And unfortunately, our English doesn't quite grasp the fullness of what he's saying. What he's more saying is, I've desired to desire. They use the same word twice. And if you're a uh, a linguist, you'll know that it's um, called Semitic doubling. I only know this because I read it. Um, But what he's saying is a little bit like my daughter Caitlin saying, Daddy, I really, really want some sweets. Right? You get it when the strength of her desire as she says it twice, we begin to understand part of the strength of Jesus' desire in him eagerly desiring to eat this meal. But something even more remarkable is the word that's used, that the, the, Greek, uh, the, the Greek word epithemia. Okay? I'm not a Greek scholar, but epithemia, used, it's used in other parts of the New, Trans, uh, New Testament to mean lust. So such a strong desire for something. So what is it about his eager, why is he eagerly desiring to eat this meal? Because he's saying, I want you to know the love I have for you. I want you to know the depth of my love. I want you to know the height of my love. I want you to know the width of my love. I want you to know how much I love you. And as I take this meal with you, as we look forward to tomorrow on the cross, you see, you will understand, Jesus saying to his disciples and to us today, the depth, the height, the width, the strength of his love. 
Do you know what's interesting? And um, we see it in here, in the few, the seven verses, sorry, the six verses at the start of the chapter, as Judas is present at the meal. Judas, the betrayer, we know him as the betrayer, the, the, where the rebellion is, how, why Jesus is handed over to uh, the authorities. He's present there. And so as Jesus is saying, this is my, the extent of my love. Rebellion is in the room. Jesus is prepared to go to that lens, knowing there will be someone who the next, that night betrays him. What Jesus died at the Last Supper initiates what we do in remembrance of him. It's eaten by the early church. It's eaten today by the church of Jesus all around the world. We who are unified in Jesus, his death, we remember together. And this morning, we don't take it apart from each other. We take it together. And at this meal, his outrageous love is poured out and we as a new community take it together. So in this meal, we have got Jesus starting a new tradition, bringing, establishing a new uh, covenant with the people. We have also got him establishing or starting a new family. Because as what would normally happen, you would have the Passover meal with your family. Your brothers, your sisters, your littlest brother asking that question Alex asked earlier. And your dad would be the host at the meal. And he would explain what each of the different things you were eating meant, just as Jesus does here. But these disciples, they're not with on this kind of annual feast. They're not with their, their mums and their dads of their biological family. They're with Jesus. They're with him as he starts this new family, the, the, the worldwide church. And it's a family we're all invited into. And I look out here, and I know many of you, and I know how different we are. We've got northerners and southerners. We've got those educated privately and those educated by the state system, those who didn't go to school much at all. We've got Leeds United fans and Man United fans. Do you know, though, none of that matters? None of that matters. Place yourself in your mind around the table with Jesus on this night. Place yourself around the table in your mind's eye. Why don't any of our differences matter? Because of who we have in common. The person of Jesus. Here's what happens when we come together. And this is really important. And if you're looking in on us at Mosaic, if you're, you wouldn't say you're a, a follower or a believer of Jesus, just this is what really matters right now. That we recognize that because of what we've done, we are enemies of God. That we don't deserve to be with God based on what we do. What we do is, it's a, the wrong in our lives where we decide that we ourselves are king and not Jesus. That that is offensive to God. And we say we need a saviour. That I can't get to God on myself. I can't be with God. I need Jesus. And when we see, when we, see we need Jesus, when we truly understand how important the cross is, we realize that there is no one better than us except Jesus. It leads to repentance. It leads to humility. It leads to graciousness. It leads to forgiveness. It leads to unity amongst the people of God. And that is where true gospel, true Jesus-centered community starts and ends in coming to him knowing we are broken. And once, we, uh, once I finish talking, um, Matt, Jones will lead us in a song of worship called Sweetly Broken. It's a song where we can join in in singing 
of despite our brokenness, Jesus comes and he, he puts us into his family and he heals us and he restores us and he gives us peace and joy. And we celebrate that as a family because of what Jesus has done. And this morning, this Holy Spirit may prompt you um, in your heart. The Holy, the Holy Spirit may come and he, he may convict you of, of some of the wrong in your life and you need to say sorry to God. You need to repent and t- return back to him. He may also bring to mind some things that, where you have wronged another here and you'll need to just to go over, don't be weird about it, say sorry, ask for forgiveness, you know, move on, you might pray with them. But don't, you know, that as a people, the forgiveness that we are given means that we can forgive others and also, in grace, ask for forgiveness from, from others. Okay, we've done two of the meals, the Passover and the Lord's Supper. And the third meal that Jesus is, is looking to here, he's looking ahead to the wedding supper of the Lamb, where Jesus gives us life-changing hope. And if you've never heard this phrase before, the wedding supper of the Lamb, it, it's talked about in Revelation, Revelation 19, and where, the last book in the Bible where there was a picture that John um, has written the book of Revelation, been given as he meets Jesus, kind of a vision of heaven. But Isaiah, a prophet in the Old Testament, some 400 and something years before Jesus, he, he prophesies it. God speaks to him and he tells him of what's going to happen on, kind of in the final days, in eternity, that will go on forever and ever and ever. And this section, this third section of um, what I'm sharing with you this morning, I am thrilled that we get to join in and have this life-changing hope. But before we do that, I want you just to break, uh, just for a minute or so, and ask, because Matt asked, Matt Hatch, when he preached a couple of weeks ago, he asked us, what is our favorite meal that we eat regularly? Lasagna, chili, um, fajitas, whatever. I want to ask you this morning, what was one of your favorite meals of all time that you have experienced. So what is one of the best meals you've ever eaten and why? So just with the people sat you sat around, just break into twos and threes, you've got two minutes to answer this question. It'll be on the screen. What is one of the best meals you've eaten ever and why? Okay, okay. Uh, let me can I have a few little Shout out, perhaps, um, I don't want the whole story, it'll take too long, but come on, some best meals you've ever eaten. There was a lot of chat then. What did people say? I know some of you. Fish and chips twice. Steak and chips twice in one meal, brilliant. Any more? Christmas dinner. Indonesian curry. Fish and chips by the sea. So all these meals, they'll be in your mind and you'll picture yourself there again. The the smells, the people you're with, the experience you had, the taste is part of it as well, of course. And I asked you to explain why. And for some of you, that was was easy. It was like, oh, this is the best meal because of this. For some of you, that was a harder question. But let me tell you, one of mine, and it is one of my favorite meals. It's not the, you know, I'm not lording it above all meals I've ever eaten. But 18 months ago, um, my friend Andrew Scopes and I, we um, had a final meal in Leeds with our friend Steve Vaughan, who's subsequently gone to plant a church in Dublin. 
And to say goodbye, we kindly invited him out to dinner. We chose the restaurant, and we said, let's go to Fazenda. So Fazenda is, is a restaurant in, in Leeds where they serve meat, the finest meat, until you can have no more. And you've got a, you've got a placemat, um, so a, a coaster, with red on one side and green on the other. And if it's green, they keep bringing meat to you. you know, the, and it's, it's all sorts of meat, and it is incredible. And then when you've done, you place it to red. But also on your coaster is a glass of wine, and they serve incredible wine to complement the food you're eating. And it was one of the finest meals I've ever tasted because of the food, but the company as well. Two of my kind of closest friends, worshippers of Jesus, eating together. And do you know what? It's a foretaste of heaven. And I'm serious about this. It's, a, it's foreshadowing the third meal referenced in Luke 22. When Jesus says, I won't eat of it until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. He says, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. What he's saying here is he's looking ahead to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And Isaiah 25, verse 6, helps us see what this is all about and what it will be like. When he says, on this mountain, on the, this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. We those who put our trust in Jesus will eat with him in his kingdom. And it will be one incredible party where the best food is on offer, where death is swallowed up and there'll be no more tears. This morning, if you want an invitation to a party like that, it goes on forever and ever and you're with your maker. Come to Jesus. Come to his salvation. Come to his hope. Come and receive the hope, living hope in us. You see, when Jesus dies on the cross and he takes the sin of the world on him, he doesn't stay dead. Three days he's in the tomb and he rises on the third day and he defeats death. He defeats it. It's gone. Which means as we read this passage from Isaiah prophesying what is going to happen in the age to come, we know it's true because Jesus came back from the dead. We know that this can be fulfilled, that death is defeated. It's gone, finished. And right now we only see it in part. But Jesus will return one day. The Bible tells us, get ready, I am coming soon. And as we take communion together, we are partaking together, we are participating in the living Jesus with us. And that's wonderful, which means love and joy and peace. They're with us as we eat a meal, and we want more of him. As we're a church who are hungry for more of God in our lives, more of the transformation in our lives and the lives of those around us. So three meals and three things Jesus does. Looking back to the Passover meal, he establishes a new covenant. Looking forward to the cross of the Last Supper, he starts a new family to which we're all invited into. And looking ahead to the wedding supper of the Lamb, where Jesus gives us a life-changing hope. So there's Luke 22. 
But for us, this is so important, the meal that we'll take, eating bread and, wi- and drinking wine, remembering what Jesus did. So there's some really important practical implications for us as a church. And just bear with me on this. So Because what we'll do, we'll kind of respond in worship, Matt will lead us and our hearts will kind of we'll, we'll see Jesus and we'll glorify him together. We'll, we'll pray, we'll lift our voices in singing. We will dance and we'll be so glad that this is the Jesus that has called us and the Jesus we worship. But it's important we just look for a few questions I have of how we to take communion. Because, and yeah, but as we take it to church, I want us to look at this, this Bible and see how we should take it. Because for some of us, we have been brought up in different traditions in different churches. And so really this next five minutes, this last five minutes, is really just making sure we're on the same page. And um, a question I'm going to start with, is communion only for Christians, for only those who put their faith in Jesus? And firstly, my response is, is an understanding that none of us are deserving or entitled to coming to communion. None of us are deserving of that. It's because of what Jesus has done for us. We, were, we are all enemies. And because of that, it means that there's a great unity in us because our starting place is the same. It's in humbleness. And repentance before Jesus. And you know, communion, it doesn't make you a Christian. You taking communion today doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is putting your faith in Jesus. And so, with that foremost in our mind, is communion open for Christians? Yeah, I'd say so. But it doesn't stop someone who doesn't believe in Jesus from being with us uh, in this kind of this time. It's important that as, our, as we explain communion, we explain. There's a, a church in Corinth um, who, and they write the ch- uh, Paul writes a letter to them, and he is very clear with them that you're taking it wrong because you're not being unified, because you're, you're considering yourself higher than others, and because for some of you, you're taking it in such a way which means judgment is coming on you, and you're getting sick or you're dying. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians 11. And so there's something really kind of important that we grasp. Um, and so if you aren't a Christian, you are so welcome amongst us. We love it you come and meet with us. But I would say that as we worship Jesus, as we preach about Jesus, as you look at him, I'd encourage you, put your faith in him. Join with us as we've done that. And you know, recently we've seen people become Christians as they've decided that, yeah, I want to put my faith in Jesus. Except that he is Lord, that he, to be Lord means that you surrender yourself to him, to accept he is saviour, Lord and saviour, accept that he has saved you. What he has done on the cross means that you can be forgiven. And that's the biggest peace you need in your life. Next question, what about children? Okay, what about children? Now on this one, this is really important. I'm a pa- you know, I'm a parent. I have two children. One is four, one is two. One can speak, goes to school, and she's pretty clever. One is, the other is two. He doesn't go to school. He doesn't yet speak very well and actually hasn't got the same grasp of what's going on, even as we meet here. So really, I, I'm, I'm giving it to the parents. Okay? You make your decision on should your children take communion with you. Faith in Jesus is what's partic- what is required to participate in the bread and the wine. I've already said that. Faith even a tiny bit. And confidence for you guys as parents that you understand, yeah, I know what 
I know my child knows something of what's happening here. It's really important that you as parents feel like you've made that good decision. And so for me, um, I, I've, as I alluded to earlier, my younger son, I, I just don't think he's grasping what it is he's doing. He thinks he's just eating some food and drinking something that tastes peculiar. Right? And so for me, my, and this, this is where I'm cautious here, that I, right now I'm not preaching, this is a matter of conscience. This is a matter of me deciding. It's helpful for you to understand where I'm coming from as a, if you're a parent. In that for Caleb, he wants to join in the, the eating, okay? And I don't want him to feel excluded in any way. Because it's not fair that he, just because he isn't able, old enough to, um, to grasp what's going on. So actually, we, we've got some biscuits. So if you want your child to join with you, and it's an amazing opportunity to pray with your children, to explain what is going on, then they, they don't have to feel like an outsider. Yeah, they'll just eat something different. It's nothing that's been, you know, it's, it, Jesus, it, it's not Jesus' body, not, or it's not a symbol, or symbolic of Jesus' body, but it's something so they're still part of it. That's what I'm going to do. It's a particularly difficult question because Paul is addressing unity in the church in 1 Corinthians 11. And um, I've read a few books, one by a guy called Howard Marshall, and he makes this statement concerning children's involvement in communion. He says, the New Testament says nothing about particular conditions for participation in communion beyond a willingness to come to faith, uh, come to Christ in faith and with love for other believers. Communion today should be open to all who wish to feed on Christ and to profess faith in him. No barriers of age. Okay, so it also means for us, you don't have to get baptized to take communion. That's not a, there's not a kind of a rite of passage that you need to take. And so I'm handing it over to you. And if you're not sure as a parent, then talk to each other. Talk to me. Talk to others in the church. Um, children clearly are more easily led, right? So they probably need clearer guidance. Okay, what are we eating? So we've got three tables. One will come um, out to my left. And on it, there is gluten-free bread. And there is non-alcoholic wine. Why do we take them? Well, we take them because we don't want anyone to be excluded because of intolerances or, uh, or anything like that. We want everyone to be able to take communion if they want to. And we take, we're also eating actual bread and actual wine. We, we don't believe that they become anything more than that. That as we, en- as we eat them, Jesus comes and he is with us. Right? Matt said that uh, on as he started worship, he said that. Jesus is with us. And as we eat this meal together, we remember what Jesus has done, his blood shed and his body given. And just finally, what about mission groups? Okay, so we, this banner here, it's always here because we want to point people's attention to Sundays is not the only thing church is about. They're not the only place we find community. We find community in mission groups who are kind of friends doing life together on mission together, on mission to kind of the people they know, that that we want to reach this city. We want the whole city to know of the love of Jesus and be able to respond to it. And so um, I'd encourage you, if you lead a mission group, that you eat together that we're doing a series called Meals with Jesus. Go, go ahead and have meals together. And as you do that, take communion together. And I'm, I'm producing a guide to help you do that. Um, 
community is not an ideal we've created. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a, um, a theologian, 1940s, he says, it's not a, an ideal we've created, rather than a reality we experience, created by God in Christ in which we participate. What is happening around the table? Strangers are becoming friends. Those on the margins are included. The lonely cease to be lonely. And outsiders are brought in. As we take communion, just like the church in Acts, Acts 2, verse 46 says, they broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. This morning, I hope we take communion with glad and sincere hearts. We stand to sing in celebration of what God has done. We celebration that we are free from sin, a celebration that our hope is secure and our lives are in Christ, our Savior and our Lord. So would you stand with me? I'm going to invite the band back. We're going to, as we do this, look to Jesus, worship him and respond. And as we sing, it's a chance for us to, to give ourselves again to God. It's a chance for you to spend some time thinking and praying. And as we come to take communion together, our leaders in that time, just directing what we do and how we do it. Um, but I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship. Lord God, thank you for this word. Thank you for this meal where you look back, show us that you establish a new covenant, where you look forward to the cross and you show us that you create a new community motivated by your love and that there is a life-changing hope in store for us as we grasp onto, knowing we look ahead to the wedding supper of the Lamb, where you will swallow up death forever. So come amongst us again, God. Come and move our hearts to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.